You're listening to Coach Talk, a podcast about coaching for improvement in health and social care. Here you will meet several international experts and coaches to discuss challenges, opportunities, models and tools that might be useful when you coach others to make improvements. Hello everyone, my name is Galena Gaikman and I'm a fourth year medical student in Boston and I have the pleasure of interviewing Marin Batalden today for the Coach Talk podcast. Marin is a physician here in Boston and has been doing a lot of work in co-production and it's a true privilege for us to learn from her today. So I'll actually get right ahead and started with it and let uh, Marin introduce herself. Hello, uh, Galena. It's fun to do this. Thank you for the invitation. It's an honor. Uh, so as Galena said, I am a, excuse me, a, a physician, a general internist, and I practice medicine as a hospitalist here at the Cambridge Health Alliance, which is a, a public health system uh, with a couple hospitals and a network of clinics that's affiliated with uh, Harvard Medical School. And it serves a, uh, a, a network of uh, seven communities in the Boston area. I am, in addition to being a practicing uh, clinician here, I'm also the Associate Chief Quality Officer for our system. And so I lead uh, efforts in a portfolio of projects trying to make the health system work better and more responsive to patient needs. Wonderful. And we're going to really focus our conversation today on co-production. So I'd love to start with just you telling us how you got interested in this topic, how it takes a role in your work today and just anything about kind of what first drew your interest? So I think I had been practicing uh, medicine as a hospitalist here for about five years when I saw patient experience of care data for the first time. I was working on really two different uh, med surge units as a hospitalist and I was working really hard and I was working with other people that I saw were working really hard. And I felt like I was a good doctor and I was well-trained and I was committed to not only doing a good job, but doing a good job for the population of patients that we care for here. It tends to be a, a group of, of patients because it's a public health system. It tends to be a group of patients, um, many of whom have um, not a lot of economic resources. There's a lot of uh, cultural diversity in the patient population that we care for. About half of the people speak English as a first language. And I was really drawn to the work of caring for this particular patient population, as are many of the people who are drawn to work in this system. And so I was surprised when I saw this patient satisfaction data for the first time because it told me that our patients were dissatisfied with the care that they were getting in our system. And I, uh, it felt to me like I was sort of getting a, a failing grade for doing this work that I was working so hard and that I cared so much about. And it was really my kind of first aha in some ways about the way that the system works to produce outcomes for patients. I think prior to that I had the sense that um, 
you know, I, I think in some ways as a doctor, I saw myself and patients and other doctors in full color and everybody else was sort of a shadowy figure within the uh, health system. I knew there were people, nurses, case managers, social workers, uh, unit secretaries, respiratory therapists, but they were all kind of, I saw them sort of in black and white around the edges of the work that I was doing. And so seeing this patient satisfaction data and really kind of digging into it, um, I learned to see that this was not a grade that I was getting on my own performance. It was a grade that the system was getting on its performance because it was the way that we work together as a team that produces the experience that patients actually have. And so it was my, I guess, baptism into the work of, uh, of system improvement because I realized that um, if we actually care about the outcomes we're producing for patients, we're going to have to work together differently because it's what we're doing together that produces this experience. So really, it was the idea of patient experience that um, woke me up to the world of systems improvement. And, and over time, certainly we have improved our patient experience scores uh, because we've been working on that. But there was always something that sort of rankled me a little bit about the notion of measuring patient satisfaction or patient experience as though patients were sort of passive recipients of the work that the health system was doing uh, because patients are integral participants in the production of their own health and well-being. And certainly when I think about myself as a person with a body, uh, so I think about myself as, as a patient, I, I realize that I consider myself to be responsible for my own health and well-being in many ways. What I eat, how I exercise, how I live in relationship to others, how much I sleep, uh, what I drink or smoke or don't drink or don't smoke. Um, I realize that I have a huge hand in producing my own health outcomes. And I see the healthcare system as part of my I guess, network of resources that I can use to bring about my own well-being. And so there was something about this idea of patient satisfaction or patient experience that just didn't ring true for me. The more I kind of meditated on it as, as a construct, it felt to me like we're, do, we're doing this wrong. Um, this idea that we're measuring uh, patient satisfaction with the healthcare system as opposed to measuring outcomes that at some level we are inevitably co-producing, whether we're talking about um, you know, kind of measures of, uh, of clinical outcomes like your hemoglobin A1C and diabetes, or whether we're talking about how happy people are with their care, we're really talking about the outcomes of a partnership, of a relationship. It's not something that the health system is doing for patients. It's something that we are inevitably doing together. We may be doing it together poorly, or we may be doing it together well, but it's impossible to think about it uh, outside of the context of this idea of a relationship that is uh, that we are co-producing all of the outcomes that we're getting in, in healthcare. And so that um, it was really kind of just thinking about 
the, the construct of patient satisfaction and patient experience and the ways in which it didn't quite fit, it didn't quite feel right to me as I was thinking about the work that we do in healthcare that uh, really got me thinking about this notion of co-production and that um, I think I was talking with colleagues and talking with my dad about this idea uh, and my dad helped me uh, it kind of opened up a world of uh, of the logic of co-production that comes out of other fields not in healthcare but in the world of business and economics and social sciences and it turns out that other people uh, have been thinking about the way in which services are co-produced um, and they've been thinking about that in other fields for a while and so I started reading about the way other thinkers have thought about the idea of, uh, of co-production and services and tried to think about what how those ideas work or could work in healthcare as well. Wow it sounds like you went through and are continuing to go through a transform transformative journey in terms of your thinking and your approach. I'm curious how does this now translate into your clinical work? Is there a different way that you kind of walk into that space? Is there a different way you work with your colleagues on the wards or with the individuals you meet who are patients that you're caring for? I'm curious what that looks like day to day for you. Yeah, um, so the, I mean, the idea in some way is kind of heady, uh, this, this notion that we are co-producing outcomes with our patients. But what it means for me when I'm working clinically is that I recognize that the the active um, agent in the outcomes that uh, I'm making with patients is our partnership. It is our, our relationship. And so I think even though I thought of myself as somebody who was a good partner before, I am increasingly aware every single time I go on the wards uh, for a, a stint of, of work as a hospitalist that I can lean into that idea a, a little bit more. You know, it used to be, for example, that when I got a phone call from the emergency department that there was a patient who needed to be admitted to the hospital, I would just start taking notes. What's the medical record number and how old is the person and what's the problem that they have? And now my first question is often, does the person want to come into the hospital? Uh, because I'm aware that there are lots of ways of managing problems and the same person with the same problem, uh, different people with the same problem, uh, may need the hospital uh, or, or may not need the hospital because there are we have lots of lots of ways of doing that um, and so I, I find myself using that same logic when it you know when it's time to discharge a person from the hospital I used to believe in some way in, in some sort of unquestioned assumption almost that I was the best person to decide when a person was well enough to leave the hospital and many patients actually also assume that I'm the best person to decide when, when is the right time to leave the hospital. But I am now really aware that I'm not. I'm, I have a part of the equation, but I don't know what somebody's going home to. I don't know how they feel. Um, and so it, the decision to discharge or admit a patient from the hospital is, is one that we actually have to make together. Uh, and I find myself actually discharging people um, earlier than I might left to my own devices and I find myself sometimes keeping people in the hospital longer than I might uh, based on what people tell me they they want you know when I'm when I'm uh, managing pain in the hospital I think once upon a time I would 
sit with the residents and we would put together some kind of uh, of plan, long-acting pain medicine, short-acting pain medications, and then we would announce that uh, to the patient. And, and now uh, I sit down and I lay out a set of options uh, and I let people tell me what they think is going to work best for them. Uh, and it's, it's just these little kinds of uh, subtle mind shifts that I think uh, make, make me a, just a better clinician. You know, I find um, I almost never talk to anybody standing up anymore. I sit down because it turns out it's easy to have it's easier to have a conversation um, that is truly reciprocal when I'm sitting down. Um, and and more and more, I find that the gap between what the health professional knows about the patient's condition and what the health and what the patient knows. Um, is is much bigger than I think we often think. And similarly, the gap between what the patient knows about his or her own life experience and what the health professional needs to know in order to provide good care to them is much bigger than we think. And so I'm kind of leaning into that gap. I see the gap is bigger than I once did, and I, I feel like I have um, just more motivation and more tools for opening up that conversation. Is there some kind of heuristic you use or some sort of reminder to yourself to do that kind of lean in? I'm curious if someone is new to the practice, is just hearing you talk about it for the first time and wants to maybe remind themselves of opportunities. What advice would you have for them? Um, you know, I, I do work with residents a lot, uh, and, and residents will often tell me that it feels different uh, watching me with patients than watching other hospitalists who, who precept them. Um, and I think, you know, part of it is um, recognizing how many decisions actually can be shared decisions. Um, and so I think there's just a tradition in, in health professional practice that the health professional makes the decisions and then actually um, announces them to the, to the patient. And so I think asking yourself, is this a decision we could make together? And then uh, figuring out how to, how to give the patient enough information to really make the decision with you. That's one thing. I think that there are you know, I think Don Berwick is, is famous for saying something like nothing, uh, nothing f about me without me. Um, and so these little things like I almost never make phone calls about a patient uh, from my own desk or from the workstation. I use the patient's phone in the hospital so they can hear the conversation uh, and that that turns out to be very generative and it makes people feel uh, cared for. So I think a lot of the work we tend to do in the hospital, we do in a workroom away from the patient. And so we see the patient for just a few minutes out of the day and we spend hours working on their care. So a lot of that work, you know, even writing my note, I can do in the patient room. And so they can actually see what I'm doing and, and overhear me. Um, and they can participate in the, in the work in a different way. Not always. Sometimes people are exhausted and they need a break. But when, that, when it seems like somebody would like that or would benefit from that, 
it's pretty easy to do. We have portable computers, you know. Um, I, I tend to show people their imaging, their x-rays, their CAT scans, and I explain what people are seeing. I, I bring the computer and I show them their labs. I do a lot of, I draw a lot of pictures. I explain a lot of, of my own thinking. Um, and, you know, patients are differently interest, interested in that or capable of understanding. And so you always have to kind of calibrate. I think that the gold standard is to invite participation um, in as much as somebody wants participation, but just being aware that we have choices about how how much we enable that partnership. Yeah. I think it's fantastic that you're providing essentially role modeling for your residents, as you said, and that they also can observe and think about opportunities where they might do something similar with other patients. Mm -hmm. I know also that you're quite involved in teaching here at CHA and you run a fellowship program with quality and looking at co-production and I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about how that fellowship got started and why you think it's important to do this more formal teaching. Yeah, I mean, up until now we've been talking mostly about what partnership looks like in that clinical space, in the kind of one-on-one -on -one clinical encounter. Um, but I think it's also possible to take it up a notch and think about it at the level of the system. So what would it mean to have a health system that had partnership as a design principle or a partnership as a core value for the way that it actually works and makes decisions and solves problems? Uh, and I think that although most health professionals and health administrators uh, would endorse the idea that they care about providing patient-centered care or about being a good partner with patients. The truth is that we're largely health professional-centric um, or, or payer-centric in this country uh, because the, the um, external regulatory bodies and, and, and payers drive a lot of the, um, of, of the logic of the way that we design our care and the way that we improve it, the things that we choose to prioritize improving. Um, but we are, we are not always um, truly kind of patient-centered, and we don't always have partnership as kind of a core design principle. And so um, I started a, a mid-career leadership development, uh, quality improvement uh, learning opportunity for uh, clinicians in our system who are interested in leading change where partnership with patients is at the center or is kind of a, a core design principle. Um, and you know I think there are there, there are thousands of examples of innovations that privilege partnership um, and I actually collect them uh, so I have quite a repertoire of um, of really cool change ideas that I think um, really privilege partnership. And um, so each of the change fellows applies to the fellowship with a change project that um, has the opportunity to really um, lift up partnership with patients as a, as a centerpiece of their work. And then they uh, spend a year together and with me um, learning how to successfully lead an organizational change project. And it's a, it's a real um, hybrid of, of learning uh, within the curriculum. It's both 
organizational change management and, and leadership and traditional quality improvement PDSA cycles and measuring change over time uh, and, and process mapping and understanding the system. But it's also doing that through this lens of what's the patient's role here? What's the patient's experience? What is the patient uh, bringing to the table? What can we invite the patient to bring to the table? Um, and so I think, you know, I'm now working with my third cohort of fellows, and so I have about 20 of these change projects that I have uh, been, um, I guess, privileged to partner with people on. And it's everything from uh, you know, when one of the first cohorts had a, um, a fellow who was doing a project related to improving care of patients with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. And uh, after interviewing patients, uh, he recognized that when patients have a flare of their chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, they have very few tools in their toolbox to manage that flare. They usually have an albuterol inhaler, uh, but they, they don't really have anything else in their toolbox. So they call uh, 911, they get an ambulance to bring them to the emergency department. The last thing in the world they would ever think to do is call their primary care doctor because the tempo of that is, is, is wrong. They feel like they're dying. They're, they're really, really short of breath. And so people end up in the emergency department. And so after listening to people, um, he put together kind of a protocol for prescribing COPD rescue packs in which patients have prednisone, uh, steroid or anti-inflammatory and antibiotics that they can initiate on their own when they feel like they're having a flare. And we expect people to reach out to their doctor if they initiate uh, a, a rescue pack uh, because there are lots of different reasons why people might be short of breath. It may not be a COPD exacerbation, but people with uh, this disease can learn to recognize its symptoms and they can learn to initiate treatment on their own. Um, and with that protocol, we've actually seen like a 40% reduction in visits to the emergency department because people actually have been empowered to take action for their own well-being, right? Um, and people, uh, not everybody wants one, but people who want one are, uh, are really happy to be trusted with, the, uh, with this kind of self-management. Um, so that's an example of sort of one kind of idea that emerges from the fellowship is how can we give patients more agency in managing kind of their own health and well-being. Um, other projects really target um, that, that encounter between the clinician and the patient. How can we be uh, working on patient-centered care plans so that we're really working to design our care related to uh, patient goals? Um, it's surprising how, um, how profound it can be to start with building lived experience of patients and families when you're designing a change project. Uh, we learn a lot that we wouldn't know if we didn't do that. And in the traditional quality improvement frameworks, we start with setting aims and choosing measures and mapping our own processes, but we don't traditionally start by really trying to understand the experience of patients and families. And 
one of the most revolutionary things that happens in the fellowship is that everybody starts by trying to build deep understanding of the lived experience of patients and families, and it leads to different kinds of change ideas. It's a really great connection to sort of the mind frame that you described in your own mind shift, and it sounds like in some ways the program is helping others to come to that same finding. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of wrapping up with our time here, and as we close, I'm just wondering if there's anything else that you wanted to add, anything else I didn't ask you about that you want to make sure we, we get mm -hmm. to before we end. You know, I think in a lot of ways the idea of co-production is a very obvious idea. It's really kind of a plain as the nose on your face kind of idea. And, and everybody who comes into the work of being a health professional comes into the work with a commitment to helping people and to doing that in a way that is meaningful and useful and adds value to people's lives. So it's not a radically new idea in a lot of ways. Um, it's just that making it the centerpiece of our work um, is a little bit of a frame shift where we, I think, um, start to accomplish like our, our own intentions as health professionals uh, more, more effectively. And so I guess for me, it's really been uh, an interesting journey. Um, just using the term co-production has helped me to see it and has helped me to um, use it as a lever for improving my own practice, both as a clinician and as a change leader. Well, thank you so much with those words. We'll end, but it's been wonderful speaking with you, Maren, and I'm sure we'll get lots of great thoughts from others who have a chance to listen to this. Thanks so much. It was fun. Thank you. This podcast is made by Kulturum Design and Learning Center in Sweden.